California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the California Underground Podcast. I am your host, Phil. As always with me, my trusty co-host, the best and fastest researcher in the West, Camille. And tonight, we're very excited to have Assemblyman Bill Asaley on of the 63rd District. He's been, uh, for a lack of a better term, I'm trying to think of a good way to say this politely and professionally. You've been sort of rocking the boat up there in Sacramento, and we love it. So, Assemblyman, thanks for coming on to the show. How are you tonight? I am so happy we are at a session. <laughs> yeah. I am, I am doing very well. Thank you. Awesome. So, for people who don't know who you are, why don't you tell sure. us a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself? Sure. So, uh, as you said, my name is Assemblyman Bill Asaley. I represent the 63rd Assembly District. We have 80 districts statewide. Uh, my district encompasses Western Riverside County. So that's like Corona, Norco, Eastvale, Riverside, Lake Elsinore, Menifee areas there. Uh, it is my first term in office. I've never served in public office before. I don't really see myself as a politician. Uh, so this is my first year in the legislature. My background is that of a prosecutor, uh, both at a deputy DA level in Riverside and also as a federal prosecutor at the U.S. Attorney's Office. So what uh, prompted you to make the switch from prosecutor to jump into the political arena? What made you crazy enough to go to Sacramento? Well, on a you know different topic, when you look at public safety issues in California, we are so far worse off now than we've been in decades when it comes to crime and public safety. And when you look at the root cause of that, it had to do with the bills and laws being passed in Sacramento to basically decriminalize a lot of laws we had on the books um, and that has caused uh, the mayhem you see out in the streets. So, but when you look at who's passing these laws, you have a bunch of activists and for lack of a better word, idiots up in Sacramento who are passing these laws have no idea what the consequences of them are. A lot of them are kids. They're in their twenties. They've never had a real job. They've never been in the pr private sector and they're the people who are governing over us and ruining our lives. And so um, I had an opportunity to run for my hometown in Corona. We had a freshman Democrat who just got in. She voted for all the worst laws. She voted to raise the gas tax. And when she came up for reelection, there wasn't a single person willing to run against her. She was gonna run unopposed. And that was really like a wake up call it says, okay, well, if you're not gonna do it, then who will? And if not now, then when? So it was really a time for choosing, and I made the decision to step down as a prosecutor and run. Um, I was not successful my first time. That was in 2018, but I w was able to uh, have another go at it in 2022, and I did get elected that time. That's something that uh, I feel like a lot of people who are interested in, like, in, in the political arena need to know because it's more common than I think you, people realize is you run one time and mm -hmm. you may not be successful, but you've gotten your name out there and then you can run a second time. And now that your name's out there, that helps you the second time around. Did you find that when you were running? Oh, 
Absolutely. It's like anything in life, uh, whether it's in sports or business, you know, imagine your first day at work. You're just like deer in the headlights. You're overwhelmed. You're learning where everything is. You're learning how things work. So the first time you run, it is like drinking out of a fire hose. You're learning, you know, how to get on the ballot. You're learning how to raise money. You're learning what issues to message on, how to reach voters. So there's all these new skill sets that you're learning. And I'll be honest with you, I had no plans to run again. I, I moved on. I started my own law firm. I had moved on. And what happened was they redistricted. Uh, they redrew the boundaries of all the districts. And so what was a kind of a purple district for me became a solid red district. And because I had built up my name ID and credibility, people came to me and said, hey, this is we want you to run for this seat. We think you'd be good for it. And you've already shown you've got the ability to to run and raise money. And so, you know, the second time around, you know, it was kind of, you know, offered up to me instead of me mm -hmm. seeking it. And that's kind of how this works. It's you got to put your name out there. People, when you work hard, people notice and, uh, you know, nothing bad will come of it. You'll make new connections, new, new friends, you'll new business mentors, only good things come out of it, even if you don't win. And to that point for voters or supporters of Republicans in California, I, I know it's always disheartening. People see it's like Republicans, they see these races and it always seems like they're getting clobbered. But I think it's a lesson in, to emphasize with the listeners. If there is a good candidate who's running, support them and make sure mm -hmm. you support them really well. And they may not win this first time, but that buoys them for a second chance and support them again. So, you know, it, it's important that they have a good showing that first time around with your support so that if they need to run again, they, they start in a better leg going forward. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And like I said, there's 80 assembly seats. I'm not going to lie to you and say they're all competitive and, and this is possible in every district. But you'd be surprised. I'd say about a quarter of them are what we would consider competitive, meaning it's not a runaway. It's within five points or something. And people mm. don't realize a lot of assembly seats are won within a very small margin. We had Greg Wallace win in Palm Springs by 85 votes. 85. Mm. You know, yeah. and what's frustrating is I run into voters and like, oh, why should I vote? My vote doesn't even matter. I'm like, well, <laughs> if that's your mindset, then they've already won. So yeah. then we had another candidate who did not win, David Shepard, an excellent Senate candidate. He lost by less than 20 votes. Wow. 20. So yeah. I know you look at like the big map and, you know, everyone looks at the presidential stuff and the Senate races, but on some of these more localized races, they are much more competitive than people think they are. Can we get, Absolutely. Can we get into the messy stuff? Can we get what? <laughs> into the messy stuff. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Camille's chomping at the bitch. She's like, I just yeah. want to get into the messy stuff. Well, because we, we talked about it a few times. HR 51. Is that, am I saying that correctly? Yeah. House where, resolution. Where is that at? Because I know you were trying to get them to mm -hmm. vote on that, and I didn't see well, an update, but maybe I Well, just... we should probably tell people what it is. So um, I'm sure, as you've heard, we've had several lawmakers and candidates uh, get DUIs this year, and I don't know what's going on. It's all over the state, and they happen to be all Democrats, senators, assembly members, city council members. They're getting DUIs, and it's not like they're barely over the limit. They're like double the legal limit out there driving. 
And what mm-hmm. I said, it, it's basically, it's symbolic. They're drunk with power. They feel like the rules don't apply to them. The laws don't apply to them. They can do whatever the hell they want. So what I did to sort of bring attention to this, and there needs to be some sort of consequence, is I drafted a resolution, House Resolution 51, because we do get to regulate ourselves as a body. And it said that if you get a DUI, you lose your state car. People don't realize when we go up to Sacramento, they hand us the keys to a car. It's a, it's a Camry. It's not like a fancy car, but it's a taxpayer, taxpayer paid car. Taxpayers pay for the car. They pay for the insurance. They pay for the gas. And it's so we can drive it around when we're away from home. And I don't think that if you have a DUI, you should get that car. You should lose the car. And so that's what my resolution did. It just says that if you get a DUI, you lose your car for three years. And um, I couldn't even get a vote on it. It's sitting in the uh, rules committee, uh, which is the committee that has jurisdiction over this. I try to bring it for a vote in the rules committee and the Republican on the committee wouldn't even second my vote uh, to, to call it for a, a vote because he didn't want to embarrass the Democrats. Um, so I try to vo- force a vote, a procedural vote on the floor and every Democrat basically voted against it. So technically it's still there. It's sitting in the rules committee and I'm going to try again when we get back in January because we've had now another member, Wendy Carrillo in LA. Mm -hmm. She was twice the legal limit crashing into parked cars in the middle of the night, like a drunk maniac. And she's now running for city council. Sorry, she was drunk. What was it? Drunk or driving while sneezing? That was her excuse. Yes, I forgot. (laughs) There's video of her and she told the officer, she's, I'm sorry, I sneezed. And that was your explanation for the collision. That's a hell of a sneeze to hit that many I parked cars. I believe that so. you didn't like author a bill that we need support groups for people sneezing. <laughs> well, I was afraid to ask what was up her nose. Um, you are like like Phil said, quite a quite a fighter up there, and so um, like parental rights is a big mm-hmm. thing for you. Um, and you you kind of like on Twitter, uh, excuse me, have been going after all these Democrats who are saying such nonsense about like the unions are now trying to infiltrate the, the school boards and make decisions for them and stuff. Uh, <laughs> what I, what do you have coming up? Like, can you tell us when you come back in session, if you're doing anything related to school board parental yeah. rights? So I think people are familiar with the bill. We did AB 1314, which basically said that if the school is going to transition your child, the least they can do is tell you about it. I mean, it's not really a, controversial bill. Um, But the Democrats wouldn't even let it have a hearing. They said it's too dangerous, too reckless of an idea. We can't even give it a hearing. But the real reason they didn't give it a hearing is because vulnerable Democrats didn't want to go on record on where they stand on parental rights because Democrats are a lot of things, but they're not politically stupid. So Mm. uh, they understand that parental rights is a really powerful issue. So some of the, the crazy ones in the deep blue seats, like, yeah, they'll they'll talk about this. But a lot of the vulnerable ones do not want to touch this with a, a you know 100-foot pole. So what we did is we worked with a coalition. We put a coalition together of parental rights activists, um, and we made a school board policy. So what we're, we've been focused on the last few months now is taking my bill in the version of a school board policy and passing it district by district. And we've had a lot of success. I think we're up to six or seven school districts now have adopted uh, my bill and in 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 some version of it. 
Um, it's being challenged in court, which we welcome. We think this is a great legal issue for parents. It's a great constitutional issue. The Supreme Court has repeatedly said parents have a right to have a constitutional right to raise their children. Um, and then what we're going to be focused on next year is I believe that this is the issue of 2024 is parental rights. The Democrats, all they want to campaign on is abortion. And I, it's like, OK, we did that. You know, mm -hmm. you got prop one and all that. We need to stop playing defense and go on offense. And we need to get this issue on the ballot and make this the issue of 2024. I do not believe Democrats win because they have better candidates. Democrats win because they message on better issues. They find the emotional, social, popular issues that really resonate and they go all in. That's, that's why they love abortion, especially in California. So we need to do the same, but the, the Republicans, they're so afraid of social issues and, and messaging on anything other than what they consider safe. Um, and to them right now, the only thing safe to talk about is fentanyl, crime, taxes, just, you know, the basic stuff, which is, you know, not bad to talk about, but I don't think it's moving voters. I haven't seen it move voters at the ballot box. So what we're going to be focused on is a ballot initiative that is going to do three things. Um, it's going to codify my bill into state law. So basically a parental notification requirement at the school level for when schools transition the gender of kids. It's going to protect girls in sports. So that way a boy can't decide he wants to get a better record and switch to the girls team. And it's going to prohibit um, medical gender uh, I don't even like to use the word care, but procedures for minors. Uh, really what we're talking about here is preventing the sterilization of children because that's what the outcome is of, of what they call gender affirming care is these kids will be permanently sterilized. They'll never have children. And that's a permanent lifelong decision. I don't think anyone should decide that before they turn 18. So it would do all three of those things. So we're focused on qualifying that and getting that on the ballot for 2024. There's, when I was there's kid, so much. I kids. Sorry. I, I have four what? kids. I didn't want kids when I was a teenager. <laughs> I'm now a mom of four. I want them. I love them. Right. So yeah, no. People sure. change their mind about kids, especially as they get older. Right. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, there's so much to unpack and, and good stuff that you said in there. Um, the first I wanted to talk about is this idea that that like all Democrats in in California legislature are like they're either Scott Weiner or Alex Lee. They're like they're just so far left that they're like these Bay Area Democrats, Buffy Wicks, all of them. They just seem to like their voice is louder than any other Democrats in the legislature. And there's got to be more moderate Democrats in the legislature, like you said, who are like. I don't want to touch this parental rights. I'm in a vulnerable district. So I, w why is there not a opportunity for moderate Democrats and Republicans to kind of link hands and, and tell, you know, the Bay Area Democrats, like, go pound sand. We're not listening to you and we're not mm -hmm. bowing to your extreme agenda. Why is there no opportunity to work like that? It's because the composition of the legislature is so out of whack. So out of 80 seats, the Democrats control 62. Mm -hmm. You only need 41 to pass anything. So even if you have 20 moderate Democrats, which is a lot, 
-hmm. it's not enough to stop anything. Um, so we have 18 Republicans, 62 Democrats. So the problem with having a supermajority is it really makes it hard to moderate anything because they have such big numbers, they can afford to lose a few people and still pass their agenda. And the problem is when you have a supermajority, and it's very fascinating to watch this, the more power they have, it's almost like the more sensitive they are. They, they cannot handle any criticism, any dissent, even though they have all the power and all the votes, they have to prove they're right all the time. And with the Democrats, it's always party first, always mm -hmm. party over country, party over everything. And so they're very careful about never showing those divisions publicly. I hear they fight. They fight a lot behind the scenes, but publicly they, they don't show division. So um, that's something the Democrats are very good at. So there is... There is dissent, but you're right. The people that dominate the narratives are the ones who tend to be from LA and the Bay Area, and they um, they're just loud and they're very they're very persistent. And you'll notice too. I mean, they'll have some bad ideas, and if they don't get it through one year, they'll bring it again the next year, and the next year, and the next year until they get it through. And they're very very persistent. We were just looking. Um, at you, sorry, I keep interrupting you. You had sent me that no, list earlier ahead. that was released of all the cha the new chairs and yeah. we went on the list and we we're like, there's not a single Republican that was, well, no, they would never make a Republican chair. I mean, they'd never well, do that, but, <laughs> but, yeah. but, you know, and this is always a fallacy too, that in, you know, we have this phrase called the third house, which is basically the lobbying arm of the, um, Sacramento. It's all the lobbyists. They've made this terrible calculation that, in a competitive race, it is better to bet on a moderate Democrat than to try to get a Republican in there. And it, it's a strategy that's totally failed because every Democrat says they're a moderate until they vote and they're, mm -hmm. they're no longer a moderate. It's very easy to say you're a moderate, but when it comes time to vote, they're not willing to stand up against their party. Why? Because their party exerts so much power. It's very hard to stand up against your party. They'll remove you as chair. They'll take you off the good committees. They'll kill your bill. They have a lot of tools they can use to punish you, and people are afraid of it. I'll give you one quick example. If you remember last year, um, Gavin Newsom brought us back for a special session to deal with gas prices, and he wants to basically go after oil companies. He thinks the reason gas prices are high is because oil companies are colluding, and somehow they're only colluding in California, not any other state. It doesn't make any sense. There was one Democrat who didn't vote for their their bill, and she's from the like Bakersfield with a big oil community, and she is in a very vulnerable, targeted seat. You think they would let her off and basically say, yeah, you know what? We don't need your vote. Don't vote for it. No, because she didn't vote for it. They punished her. They took her off a committee uh, because they cannot have dissent. They don't tolerate it at all. Um, I was going to just kind of, talk about and I've, i think we've talked about this with like every assembly member or senator who's come on um just to re-emphasize for the voters because it, i don't think it could be said enough breaking the supermajority. when people say well how do we turn california around how do we change things i always say the first step that should be the first goal number one break the supermajority. 
How much of a difference does that make just breaking the supermajority in the legislature? Breaking the supermajority would be massive. And to break it, we need 27 out of 80 seats. So right now we have 18. Um, what it would do is it would give us tremendous leverage because not every bill is a majority vote. Some of the budget stuff they want to do, especially tax increases or constitutional amendments, requires a two-thirds vote. So if we have a seat at the table, it gives us a lot of leverage to negotiate and exert power and influence. Right now, we're basically irrelevant. There's nothing, you know, and this really bothers me because I get into disagreements with some of my colleagues because they want me to basically get along better with some of the Democrats. Like, well, we have to work across the aisle. We have to be effective. Don't you want to pass a bill? Don't you want to get something done? And I just have to remind them and go, look, I was not elected to pass more laws. Nobody sent me to Sacramento and said, please send us another law. We don't have mm -hmm. enough laws. No, we're the opposition. We're there to stop the nonsense. But some of my colleagues, they have that, they have that backwards. They think passing a do-nothing bill is like doing a good job. So um, yeah, we, we have got to break the supermajority. And we do that by beating Democrats at the ballot box. And for that, we have to have a strategy. And to be fair, I haven't seen one yet. I, I don't I don't see a cohesive strategy. I have tried to get the party to basically embrace parental rights. They just, they don't want to. I don't know why. I, I have ideas. I, we kind of talked about it. They don't like social issues. They want to talk about the safe stuff. But I don't, they, they just have this idea that if they raise enough money, they'll, they'll win seats. And I, I just don't think money's enough. You got to have a strategy and a message that resonates with voters to give them a reason to vote for you, or more importantly, to vote against Democrats. Well, the parental rights, I mean, I, I think it's a slam dunk because at the end of the day, I think most people, even if they are not Republican or they're centrist, or maybe they lean left. If they're parents, I think when you touch upon that instinct, I'm not a parent myself, but I'm just saying I've seen the reaction. Uh, I think if you bring up parental rights and say to California voters, like, look at this. These schools are trying to put a wedge between you and your children. They don't believe you know enough to raise your children. That kind of message to parents I would think immediately wakes them up and gets them energized to vote against whoever's pushing that agenda. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't see, I, I, I'm shocked to hear that they don't want to go forward with that because that seems like a slam dunk issue in California. That could be a turning point to kind of wake people up to what's going on. Yeah, they, they're, they're, they don't know how to win. I don't know how to explain it. They've almost, they've resigned themselves to being in the minority and they're just trying to make the best of it. I honestly don't think a lot of them want to win because, like you know, we're talking about sports earlier. Um, it's painful. It's painful to win. You got to work hard. You got to go to practice. You got to fight hard. You got to really want it out on the field. And you're going to take punches. You're going to get hit. You're going to get bloodied and bruised. I don't think they have an appetite for it, to be honest with you. Um, you were saying about me being different than some of the other assembly members up there or politicians. The reason I'm different is because I am not a career politician. I did not go through local elected office. I didn't go to city council and then work my way up to the assembly, which people wanted me to do before I got up here. 
I'm an attorney by background. I still have my own law practice. That's where I'm in my law office right now. I don't need this job. Um, so I can afford to take positions and you know what, if I don't get reelected, so be it. I go back to, to doing what I got to do. But a lot of people are very dependent on this position. This is the best job a lot of them will, will ever have. And they don't want to lose it. Even if they're in the minority, it's better than not being in office. Um, okay. Last okay. point about that I kind of want to bring up. I agree with you 110%. And I think I've said this until I'm blue in the face on this show and on lives and on social media. At this point, the California Republican Party has nothing else to lose in terms of its numbers as a party. It's already a quarter, what is it, a quarter of the votes or voters, 25% of voters are Republican. It seems like it's going down. Um, you lose nothing by being bold. And that's why I agree with you. Be bold. There's, there's, you, you have nothing to lose at this point. Either you mm -hmm. stay a, an irrelevant minority that doesn't do anything and has no power, or you at least step up and say, we want to push for parental rights. We want to push for nuclear power. We want to push for reopening oil wells. We want to push, like, be bold in your solutions. And you'll probably get more people to pay them and be like, well, at least I know where they stand and I can agree with them or vote for them one way or another. It, you know, but milk toast in the middle of the road is, I don't think, is a winning strategy. You know, I don't think it is too, but look at the guy that just won in Argentina. <laughs> oh, guy. yeah. He's very bold, right? I mean, he yeah. is. He does not hold back. He's very bold. He's in your face. And by the way, did you see they got the results of their election in like an hour? Yes. For yep. the whole country. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's the way you do an election. And uh, there's no there's no room for shenanigans. Um, you're right. Uh, but I think the other problem that you're maybe not including or haven't considered is the donor class especially in Sacramento, mm. that's the business community. Business community doesn't care about parental rights. Business yeah. community cares about special interests and they care about getting an amendment through that creates a loophole for their issue or making a bad bill a little bit less of a bad bill. And so they don't want to, they don't want to be involved in this. And so most of the money we get are from those business donors um, up in Sacramento, we call them the third house. And they don't want us to upset the Democrats. They don't want us to go in on parental rights because that makes the Democrats mad and they'll retaliate. And so um, there's a lot of dynamics to this. It's really important who you send up to Sacramento, especially in the safe Republican seats, you have to send fighters. So, you know, if, when you have an open seat and there, I think there's going to be a three or four open Republican seats this cycle due to people termed out or moving to other seats, you have to make sure that in the primary, you're getting the person through who's not a career politician, staffer, but is actually a fighter and wants to come up here and doesn't care about upsetting the apple cart or ruffling some feathers. Because once they're in, they're very hard to get people out, as I'm sure you know. Um yeah, I mean, I would say it's my opinion, and you can tell me if I'm wrong or not, but I think there's a good core of uh, Republicans up there in the legislature. Uh, you, I would say James Gallagher, Joe Patterson, um, Josh Hoover, 
uh, Kate Sanchez. Those are some like people I, mm-hmm. I think who are they've brought like fresh blood to the legislature. Joe Patterson has no filter. I love it. Um, so I, I think, and James Gallagher has no problem speaking his mind. I think there's more people who need to, to be like that, be like you who like, just, Mm -hmm. there's an issue. I feel boldly about it. I need to, I need to at least say something because, um, I, I, with the parental rights bill, um, or was it the, the sex trafficking, the child sex trafficking bill. I mean, just look at the response to that. That was nationwide, nationwide news about this child sex trafficking bill and that was because people raised the alarm about it and said whoa 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 what's going on here like this is something that right. we should all be paying attention to and that public pressure got a lot of democrats to back off i also noticed that joan sawyer was removed as chair from public safety committee in that update so hallelujah <laughs> yeah so i think that might have been connected so um but you know yeah, SB i think 14 it, was was a unique uh issue because I think you can't discount the sound of freedom was mm. having a huge impact at the same time that was going down. Mm, so a yeah. lot of people were watching this movie sound of freedom and they had no idea about the child sex trafficking epidemic that is, is global, frankly. And then you also have the nuance of Gavin Newsom wanting to be president. So yeah. he's very sensitive about his national image. Um, I think without those two factors, I don't know if SB 14 would have passed. Um, but yeah, having the public uproar um, definitely had a huge effect in Sacramento. The problem is there's so much to get upset about. It's hard to get the public focused on on specific bills and issues sometimes just because there's so many. Mm-hmm. But SB, yeah. SB 14 was one of those that really captured the interest of the public and the media. And it was like the perfect storm. Um, We just can't rely on that model for every, every bill. We had 3000 bills this year. Some really, really bad ones got through. I mean, six, six, five is going to basically give the government a way to remove kids from your home. If they think that you're a danger or it's in the kids mental health benefit to have you have them out of there. It's really dangerous. I mean, we try and do a legislative roundup twice a year and we barely scratch the surface of like what there is. Like we just bring up the most shocking bills that people should be aware of, but that doesn't, you know, there's thousands of bills that are going through the the assembly. Um, You brought up uh, our esteemed governor, Gavin Newsom. So I think this is a good segue (laughs) into our next topic. Um, Did you think that the way to solve homelessness in San Francisco was to have the dictator from China, Xi Jinping, come over? Was that anybody's guess? You know know what I find so insulting about that whole episode is he was so smug and he didn't even hide it. He said, yeah, of course we did. We cleaned up the city because we had all these world leaders coming and the Chinese dictator. He was very smug about it. And what it shows you is like what? He said it's like cleaning your house when guests come over. Yeah. And I don't have homeless encampments in my yard, but I don't know what they did with them. I don't know if they just shoved them into some residential areas for temporarily. I I don't know that there was a, you know, a permanent, um, you know, remedy for it. But um, but it shows you that if they want to do it, they can do it. It's not an issue of money. It's not an issue of court cases or laws in the way it's a lack of will 
Um, so when they have the will to do it, they do it. And so why is the Chinese dictator more important, more special than the Californian, average California person who's working hard, paying taxes and trying to raise a family? Why does the Chinese dictator get more special treatment than we do in our own freaking state? So I, I find it so insulting that he'll go out of his way for foreign dictators, but he wouldn't give us the same courtesy. Same thing with the 10 freeway shutdown. It showed you that if they want to do something, want to fix a highway or build a lane, they can do it. Uh, they don't want to. It's, it doesn't fit their agenda and their narrative. And so um, that's really what it exposes. And, you know, and that's why as a Republican, I don't sign on to any of these homeless bills and bonds and BS, because that's not the issue. The issue isn't money or, 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 or bond. It's, we don't have people in power that actually want to fix the problem. Yeah. I, and the, even more insulting was they found out this was all done within San Francisco's budget. So they had the money to do this. <laughs> It wasn't like they needed a special block grant from the federal government. They could have just done this. They could have just cleaned up the city and then and figured this out with the homeless. Um, so it, 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 I think it, and it's just kind of insulting and it shows you how smug they are and how, uh, I guess, untouchable they feel, California Democrats, because they're like, yeah, whatever. We welcome Xi Jinping with open arms. We cleaned up the streets. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to vote us out in San Francisco? Like that doesn't change anything. Yeah. Until they are actually beat up at the ballot box, until they start losing some seats, they're not going to, it's going to get worse. It will not get better. Um, it's just the only thing they understand is raw power and mm -hmm. at the ballot box. It's the only thing that that's going to change things. So people, I even tell Democrats, I'm like, even if you're not a Republican, vote Republican just to send a message and get some balance in the legislature. And I would be telling you the same thing if we had a supermajority Republican legislature. I do not think supermajorities are healthy. They're not. Mm -hmm. You should not have a supermajority anything because like I said, it allows the extremes to basically uh, run the show and you don't get any kind of moderation or uh, you don't moderate any of the viewpoints when it's a supermajority. Um. I have a theory and you can tell me if I'm completely off base or not. Uh, ironically, we are kind of saved by the far left policies because Gavin Newsom wants to run for president so badly um, that he will shut down far left policies and veto those bills um, because of that. Now I'm scared the next governor, whether it's Rob mm -hmm. Bonta or uh, the lieutenant governor, who I can never pronounce her name, um, because they don't have higher aspirations, will be farther left and be more bold to pass these crazy far left policies. Is that a, a crazy theory that we're at no, least it's, at least it, yeah, it's a ahead. huge concern? Um I have the same concern. I'm, you know, I say right now, thank God Newsom's running for president mm -hmm. because it's the only thing that's moderating, uh, you know, our policies in California. He's the adult in the room right now. He's video. He's the only one that's vetoing crazy bills. Um, mm -hmm. Not all of them, but some of them. 
and that's the best we have right now. If we get one of these other people up there who are much more progressive and are not um, restrained, they'll sign all this stuff that's going to bankrupt the state and, and just drive us down the hole deeper. I'm very, very worried about that. And I don't see any prominent Republicans emerging um, that can be viable governor candidates. I mean, we really need uh, just the way California is. It's so big. You need someone with huge name ID, almost celebrity status that could win. I mean, the last one was Arnold, right? Um, mm -hmm. We need someone at that level that can step up and run. I don't know who that is. Maybe they'll emerge, uh, but we just can't hand this over to the Democrats. Uh, you know, when Newsom leaves and think about it too, Jerry Brown was a kind of moderate too on fiscal stuff. Mm -hmm. So we've had two, somewhat moderate governors in a row, we haven't felt the full effect of a Democrat supermajority and a progressive governor. That is going to be a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I, I just fear the day there's going to be a governor who's in Sacramento who has no qualms about signing off on every Scott Wiener bill and every Alex Lee bill and every Buffy Wicks bill. And like some of those bills you look at are just like you roll your eyes and go, OK, where are we getting the money for? Why is this important? It's either one of those two things. One, why, where are we getting the money from raising taxes or two, their social issues that most of the time we kind of go. Why is this important? Why does this have to be made law? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I by the or by they're the unconstitutional God, or they're unconstitutional. Yeah. And then you got to, you know, have a lot of resources to go to court and challenge it and get it struck down, uh, which the Democrats don't care. They'll pass it again, even after it's struck down and just tie it up for years. Well, my fear uh, as, as a gun owner is that if someone like Rob Bonta gets in, he's just going to tear apart the Second Amendment here in California. He won't care. Mm -hmm. He'll have the ability and the, the backing of the governor's office to just absolutely shred any Second Amendment rights in this state. And, mm -hmm. you know, as good as like the firearms policy coalition is, um, you know, uh, California Gun Owners Association, as good as they are, uh, they, they won't be able to match the power of the governor's office who has unlimited resources to fight these out in court forever. So uh, that's one thing I'm scared of. Uh, shifting now, speaking of the grace of God, uh, I want to go back to the 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 issue with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. I actually had to try and remember <laughs> what their name was before I hopped on here because I was like, the Sisters of, what What were they? Big perpetual something or other? Um, i just like to say, first off, as, uh, as a Catholic myself, I was very appreciative of your, uh, of you standing up for me as a Californian in the legislature against the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. So um, I thought that was that was great to see that. Um, what what was your what was going through your head when they invited these sisters there? Honestly, I was disgusted because we are supposed to be a institution that stands for something, some sort of decency and higher, you know, level of intellect and discussion. I mean, we represent the people. We're the people's house, and this is where we do our business and we decide policy and we we govern. It's a big deal, and to basically cheapen it and recognize a group that basically exists for the sole purpose of mocking of a, a, a faith, mocking Catholics. Um, 
it's so disgusting and beneath what we stand for. So, you know, I, I did my own little silent protest. I think you saw it. I just stood up and I had a little sign. It said religious yeah. bigotry is bigotry. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was a lot of blowback for that. And, and, you know, and people were upset and people in my party were upset why I did that and why I upset the Democrats because, you know, they try to turn it into an anti LGBT thing. I said, it's, I go, there were a lot of other LGBT people being recognized that day that were worthy of recognition. You had, you know, people who are in law enforcement and, and people involved in their community, but uh, these drag queen nuns who, okay, maybe they do an hour of community service a week and spend the rest of their time, you know, making fun of Catholics is not worthy of being recognized. And so, but why do they do it? They do it to, they do it to provoke us, right? I mean, they, they, they want a reaction from us and they do it because they can, and they want to rub it in our face. And I just don't think we should participate in that. And you know what I did in response because the, all the media narrative was, was that the Republicans walked out on the pride ceremony. That's what the, that's how they spun it. So I said, okay, why don't we do this? Why don't we recognize a conservative gay person and see how they react? And we did that. I invited Rick Rennell up, the first uh, uh, gay cabinet member, uh, Ambassador Rick Rennell, who was uh, appointed by President Trump. We gave him an award. And guess what? The Democrats stood up and walked out during his, wow. his award. And so, <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, it's like, Two can play that game and we got some good press out of that. Uh, but even that, my party's like, why are you doing this? Leave it alone. Don't provoke them. I go, no, we have to make a point. This is not, see, this is what they do. They paint Republicans as bigots and homophobes. And we just sit by and we, we like say, oh, no, we're not. What you have to do is flip the script and use their playbook against them. And so, okay, let's, let's have our own ceremony and see how they react. And when they get up and walk out, you call them homophobes. And, uh, and, and that's what we did. It was pretty effective actually. Um, but I, I think the best defense is offense and I wish people would, um, embrace that a bit more. Yeah. Cause I think it, it got, um, it got people to notice the issue and I think it got mm -hmm. people to pay attention to it and, and discuss it. Um, otherwise, uh, and I think that's part of the problem in California is there's so many people in California who feel like they just don't have a voice. I feel like that there's so many, you know, just people who want to go to work, who want to make a good living, afford a home, put their kids through a good school. Um, they're, they're not into all this crazy progressive social issues. They're not into the climate change. They just, they want to pay $3 for a gallon of gas again. And their voices are just, they're not being heard anywhere. And it's, there's gotta be millions more of the unheard in California than there is of these, uh, you know, these showboat far left Democrats who make it all about social issues and all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think politicians like yourself need to, you know, and you've done it. And I think there needs to be more speaking up on their behalf and letting people like, Hey, Someone's standing up on my behalf. So like I said, as a Catholic, when I saw you do that, I said, hey, someone's standing up on my behalf in the legislature. I felt represented. And mm -hmm. how many thousands of Catholics or millions of Catholics here in California 
said, wow, he's standing up for me and protecting me. Yeah. And, and, and how many voice. Hispanics are Catholic? I mean, one of the biggest voting block in the state of California are Hispanics. Yeah. They're predominantly Catholic. So when they go vote, they should know when you go see the D next to somebody's name, they, they don't respect you or your family or your religion. In fact, mm -hmm. that D stands for Diablo. Don't vote for them. You know, yeah. so um, it, it the, the problem today is people's attention spans are so small that you really have to make the election very simple and it's got to be a binary issue. It's mm -hmm. Democrats are against parental rights. Republicans are for parental rights. So when you go vote, that's the only thing you need to know. And you can make that decision accordingly because very few people take the time to learn about each person they're voting for, what their record is, and then deciphering what's true, what's not true and all this stuff. A lot of people just vote based on party. And what yeah. they think in their head is that Republicans are racist and homophobes and hate women and Democrats uh, love them. But that's not mm -hmm. true. I mean, obviously, look at the policy, but that's what people feel. So until there's a alternative message and narrative that resonates, we're going to continue to have the same results we do until people feel uh, a sort of disgust and resistance to Democrats. They're not going to vote for us. I, I don't. I don't think people vote for anything anymore. I think they vote against things. I just yeah. do. It's just the way I feel. Yeah. I don't think anyone voted for Biden. I think they voted in their mind against Trump. Yes. Yeah. Right. So mm -hmm. same thing. They're not voting for these loser Democrats that are getting sent up there. They're just voting against the Republicans. Right. Um, it's it's tribalism has really hurt our country because people just. It, mm -hmm. It's my tribe versus your tribe, and I don't care who we send out there, how bad they are. I want someone to be to bring home a win for our tribe, and that's the sad thing is that people just don't care. They don't look at their own party, mm -hmm. um, and and give it criticism. I know Camille and I we we constantly critique the California Republican Party, and we get some backlash for it. But uh, I think being honest is the best way to start fixing and moving forward because otherwise. How are we going to, how, how's anything going to change if, if you just keep the status quo? Right. And George Washington warned us of, about political parties. He was very right. concerned about the effects they would have on the Republic. And, and we've seen that now. And I don't think the solution is to have a third party. Um, I, don't, I don't know what the solution is because then you get a plurality. But yeah, this, people are way too, they defer way too much to the party that they belong to and just give them a free pass every time. Yeah. I wish there was just no letter next to their name and everyone actually had to go and research the candidate and then be like, hmm. you know, it's, it's interesting you say that because when you look at local races, city council and supervisor and sheriff and DA, there is no letter next to their name and we tend to get better candidates. At someone the local you never, level. Like, outspoken about, you know, like they want to make sure everyone knows who they are, what party they are even though they're supposed mm -hmm. to be. Yeah. But if you notice, we get more Republicans elected at the local level mm -hmm. because people vote for the person because there's no party next to their name. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, I, I, I'm not going to say anything today, but that is an interesting observation that you've made. Yeah. Okay. And local, local <laughs> makes all the difference. Um, real quick. Yeah. We have a couple minutes left. Uh, I want to kind of just really quickly touch upon the the idea of 
of the Hispanic vote and that mm-hmm. Republicans should absolutely be jumping on this lock, stock and barrel. I, I don't know why California Republicans don't invest more in reaching out to the Hispanic vote here in California, um, because I, I just think it makes so much more sense for Republicans to reach out to Hispanics and Democrats, especially after a lot of the issues like the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. How do, how do we not find that I, as an I would opportunity? love to see like a hard hitting ad. We just put a montage of like the sisters gyrating on, on, on a, you know, on the cross and the Dodger stadium. And then what's going on at the schools and these, you know, transgender boys who are beating up girls and in the locker rooms and, and in sports and whatever, put that montage together and let them know what the Democrat party is about. And, you know, I'm kind of joking, but I do think there needs to be some sort of campaign or slogan that like, what does the D stand for next to the person's name? I, it's, I think Diablo mm-hmm. is a good way to go. D is for Diablo and, and make that a, a hard hitting ad. And I, I think it would have a lot of effect and traction. But, hey, if you're listening, everyone go donate to him so we can make this happen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah, please. We, we, you know, that you bring up an important point because I'm kind of losing some of my institutional donors and I'm relying more on the average person um, because I don't do the bidding of special interests and they've kind of figured that out. So, yeah, if you have the ability to give to candidates like me, even if it's like $5, $10, it really does make a big deal. And you can go to my website, Saley for Assembly. You can sign up for our emails and you can help us out for like a cup of coffee. Pretend buy me a cup of coffee a month. It will be very helpful. Um, Explain that you're not literally using that for coffee because then they're just going to call you. No, no, no. I'm (laughs) saying the the cost of a cup of coffee, you could just donate that a month. You could, you know, do a monthly donation. But we use that to do ads and social media and, um, you know, and all kinds of stuff to to reach out to voters so we can make a difference. And then I um, will also be involved in some other races that I think are important, especially some of these open races, and I'm going to be backing candidates that I think are going to come up and, and fight alongside with me. So, but I need resources to be able to do that effectively. So to finish up, um, this might be a fun little exercise. Uh, you've been elected governor of California. What do you do in your first month? Oh man. Don't say quit. That, no. <laughs> Well, do I have all the powers he had during COVID? Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, no. There's no pandemic, so you don't get oh. unilateral uh, dictator powers. Um, I I would probably convene a special session and probably do a package of like ten hard hitting bills right away to uh, lower lower the lower the gas tax. Um, Restore uh, reverse Prop 47. Um, I would love to get school choice on the ballot, give parents the power of the purse over their child and let them decide if they want that money to go to a public school or private school. I would probably do a package of like five to 10 hard hitting core issues and force the legislature to vote on it. I would also probably bring out that veto pen (laughs) and uh, veto a lot of stuff. Um, and fire 
every single bureaucrat that I have the ability to fire, um, you yeah. know, in the state. That's probably like day one. I'll probably do that. So, okay. That's, that's a busy day one. Okay. Like now, the why not? That. You, yeah. You don't have time to waste, you know? And so you got to get these, because a lot of decisions and policies and regs are done at the bureaucrat level. It's not even at the, it's not even at our level. We're not voting on it. You have these bureaucrats acting throughout the state and they're a huge problem. So first thing I do is get them out and get a bunch of uh, business people, you know, people who have experience running stuff, get them in there. And, and get them going to work. People don't realize that things like water, the voters already approved the water bond, like billions of mm. dollars to build water infrastructure. All they have to do is issue the permits, but because they are so beholden to the environmentalists, they won't even issue the permit. We have the money, we have the projects. So something like that, I don't need to pass a law. We just have to issue the permits. Same thing on oil. We have tons of oil in California. They just need the permit to drill and, and to increase the supply and the state doesn't issue it. There's so many things you could do at the administrative level. Um, I haven't given it any thought until you just, you just said so right now. Well, now, now you're going to, you're going to go to bed tonight thinking about being governor of California. It's going to percolate in your head. So yeah, so what would I do? <laughs> what would you do as governor of California? Well, yeah. assemblyman, uh, with the final couple minutes, thank you again for coming on, taking the time. I'd uh, love to have you back on whenever you want uh, to chat more about what you're doing up there and kicking butt up there. Um, tell people where they can find you and follow you and support you some more. Sure. So um, my website is Isaili, E-S-S-A-Y-L-I for assembly.com. People can go there, follow us on there'd be links to all our social media. You can sign up for our newsletter. Our newsletter is really good. We send about one a week and they're, they're really hard hitting and, and they touch on issues going on in California. Um, the other thing that you can do is go to this website on the ballot initiatives. It's called protectkidsca.com and you can learn about the ballot initiative. And then once it's qualified, you can help us collect signatures to qualify it on the ballot. So there's a lot people can do to get involved. And, you know, I always say, focus on your sphere of influence. You don't need to like go out and campaign statewide. Just talk to your, talk to your family, your friends, your coworkers, let them know mm -hmm. what's going on. Hey, did you know this is happening? You know, oh, look, there's an issue. I think, I think I should sign it. You should sign it. And then have them talk to their sphere of influence. And that's how things happen. I mean, think about like when you watch a good movie and you tell, don't you tell people, you're like, hey, there's a really good movie, you should see it. So people always think politics has to be this like all consuming, overwhelming thing. And it's just, it just needs to be a part of your, of your daily conversation. Just like you check your TikTok or your social media, you should make sure and see what's going on at the political level and let people know about it too. Yeah. And Oaks, and also is in two days. So everyone has the opportunity <laughs> to tell yes. all their favorite people, all their closest people. Best time to talk politics is Thanksgiving. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Also, on well, the flip I, think, side I think you can on, on what I call these 80-20 issues. Like parental rights isn't controversial. We have right. polling that shows 80% of Californians are with us on it. So I'm not saying to discuss abortion at, at the dinner table. <laughs> mm -hmm. Maybe don't just... Don't discuss the presidential candidates, but things like what the schools are doing with kids, you don't even have to phrase it as political. It could just be current events. 
Could you be, yeah, just a conversation starter to see what's going on and what people's feeling is on it is. Um, I was going to say something, but I completely forgot now. And now Uh-oh. I'm embarrassed that I you completely forgot moment. about it. I did have a Biden moment. Yeah. <laughs> now, excuse me while I, I walk into this wall behind me, right? Um, I'll remember it. Maybe I'll remember it someday. Uh, no, I was going to say on the flip side, uh, when it comes to social media, also don't get too obsessed with politics on social media because that's, mm-hmm not the real world, like social media on politics is a little sensationalized um, and you're not always getting the full story. And there's local races that you should be getting involved in, your community you should be getting involved in outside of arguing over Trump and Biden on social media. So that was what I was going to say. No, that's so important. You have the most power at the local level. I mean, the Mm -hmm. success we've had at school boards has been tremendous. Because you know what? Your school board member is your neighbor. You can go talk to them. You can call them. They'll talk. They'll answer your phone and have a conversation with you. And they don't get elected by that. They get elected by a few hundred votes. So they're going to be more responsive to their constituents. You have mm-hmm. a lot of power at the local level. And that's how our country was designed to run. Most decisions were designed to be made at the local level. But you're right. The media and the, the politics, they want you to focus on the national. It's a distraction. It's important but it shouldn't consume most of your bandwidth. Right. Yeah. Your day to day is governed by local politics, not by what's going on 3000 miles away in DC. Um, so assemblyman, thank you again for coming on. Um, I think you're, you already told people where they can go and find you and support you. So make sure everyone go follow assemblyman Bill Saley on X. I was, I'm trying to break the habit of calling it Twitter um, on X on social media, uh, go buy him a coffee or give him money equivalent to buying him a coffee <laughs> to help him support his candidacy and his work up there. Um, and as I like to end every show, I like to say, uh, thank you for tuning in. Make sure you like, share, subscribe, review, comment helps with the algorithm for people to find us. And the best free way you can support the show uh, is share it with a friend, share it with a family member, maybe bring it up at Thanksgiving dinner. Who knows? Maybe you can be like, hey, have you checked out this podcast, uh, California Underground, Thanksgiving dinner, while you're pulling that drumstick off the turkey. Um, but thank you for tuning in. Everyone have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you all in the next one. Later. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available.